Welcome to a new episode of our FinTech podcast series for FinSight, the global financial institutions industry podcast. I'm Sue McLean. I'm a partner in Baker McKenzie's technology group in London, co-chair of our FinTech practice in London, and co-chair of our EMEA financial institutions industry group. Today, we're here to celebrate UK FinTech Week 2022. And during this session, we're going to assess the state of the nation when it comes to FinTech in the UK. Joining me today are David Hart, who is a partner in our corporate team, and Mark Simpson, who's a partner in our financial services regulatory group and co-chair of our FinTech practice in London. During UK FinTech Week, FinTech founders, banks, technologists, entrepreneurs, investors, regulators, policymakers, politicians, academics, and media from all around the world come together in London to learn, discuss, network, and debate all things FinTech. During this dedicated week for FinTech, we wanted to assess the state of the FinTech sector here in the UK. Now, of course, London has been key to the UK's FinTech success story. As one of the world's leading financial centers, it has around two-thirds of the UK's FinTech startups. However, in recent years, we've seen significant amount of FinTech activity across all parts of the UK, particularly up in Scotland and Edinburgh and Glasgow, and in our major cities, such as Birmingham, Manchester and Leeds, and in other pockets around the country. And although we've been very successful in growing our FinTech reputation, one year on from the publication of the Khalifa Review, a government-backed evaluation of the UK FinTech sector, industry experts have been pushing the UK government to do even more to ensure the industry keeps its status as a leading fintech nation. So we're going to start by looking at the investment perspective. David, how would you evaluate the current state of the fintech sector here in the UK and and how does it compare with other leading fintech hubs around the world? I would say that the the current state of the UK fintech sector is is incredibly healthy. as a corporate lawyer, I tend to sort of follow the money and look look at how the sector is doing in terms of how the various companies and entrepreneurs are, are doing at raising cash to help them develop and grow their products and their offerings. And to sort of put that all into some context, if we look back at, at 2021, uh, sort of global venture funding generally in dollars was around 621 billion, which was in itself more than double the 2020 mark of 294. So that's that's all all venture funding. And of that, um, more than half of that, so 311 billion was focused on the US. And then regionally, the next strongest was Asia, then Europe, then Latin America. Um, if we look at within that total number, which is all, all fundraising, just take the fintech sector globally, um, the 2021 number was $131.5 billion across just under 5,000 deals. And that's a 168% increase on 2020, where it was a 47.6 billion number across three and a half thousand deals. So you can just see sort of going from sort of 2020 to, to the year just gone, huge, huge increase. And actually, if you look at fintech within that, that's pretty much $1 of every $5 raised across all industries is going into fintech, which just really shows how hot it's running. Um, if we then sort of look at that, uh, look at the UK within that um, within that sphere, we get uh, in 2021 was another great year for the UK. So total fintech businesses raised $11.6 billion, um, which is a huge 217% increase from 2020, the year before. So 
I think that's just, um, it shows the UK is consistent with the, the general global trend that, that fintech is running hot uh, and is a great success. Um, it's also interesting if you look at the UK against um, other particular hubs. Yeah, so if you look at the figures, the US out in front raising 46 billion for fintech, but then the UK firmly in second with its 11.6 billion. And that really puts us quite a way ahead of um, our challenges thereafter. So the next in line is, is India with 6.3 billion and then Germany with 4.4 and Brazil with 3.8 billion. So if you think about sort of what you typically think is the big fintech centers, so you, you've got the UK with London in particular, and then the US uh, at APAC, we're, we're doing pretty well for our size and, and considering um, just what people are raising through their businesses there. Yeah. So it sounds like great momentum and we've We've got a great showing from a UK perspective at the moment. Who, who's investing in UK fintech? Is it a lot of uh, VC investment or are we seeing a sort of variety of different players wanting to uh, make acquisitions and investments in this space? It's a good question. Obviously, with that strong, strong flow of cash over the last um, calendar year, um, at the heart of that is, is is the pure VC players. So VC and, and, and then PE funds, depending on which stage of investment people are looking at, uh, certainly drive uh, a large part of it. Just because of the nature of the macroeconomic effects that with digital transformation, people are all looking to ride the possible upside of, of, of fintech and, and other technology-related companies. You have not just VCs, you've got, got asset investment managers and, and Tiger Global, who probably class as an asset or investment manager, have really, certainly in the last quarter of 2021, sort of one of the most active players. And then you also have corporates and corporate venture capital uh, players who are looking to either invest in businesses that they want to perhaps partner with and perhaps take a stake in as a as a, a route to sort of getting preferential terms or, or really prior showing to the the fintechs that, that they prioritize them and potentially look at as an early way to potentially line themselves up for a good position for an ultimate takeout of the business and, and confirming it with theirs so it's a it's a real mix but yes definitely the pure vcs driving a lot of it but you've got other players and really looking to invest and and ride that wave Oh, that's really interesting. And and in terms of fintech sort of subsectors, we know fintech is a really broad umbrella term for many different types of businesses that are looking at different areas, you know, from cyber data payments. Is there any areas in, in the UK that are particularly hot at the moment, would you say? Everywhere is looking pretty healthy, but I think um, certainly across payments um, and then the challenger banks uh, and then lending. Uh, are, are all are all sectors that where there's been a lot of activity. So I think on the lending side, I think everyone's familiar with lots of buy now, pay later activity. I think certainly not just fintechs that specialize in that, but a lot of the, the larger players are all trying to uh, bring some aspect of that offering into the products they offer because there's a whole generation of people who are effectively buying whatever they choose to buy online. And so naturally used to having that ability to break down those payments. So that, that's certainly a very hot area. And we know in terms of the more traditional digital banking side that obviously Monzo did um, a big raise just at the end of uh, 2021. So it's it's those sort of sectors that, that people are definitely focusing on. But, but as I said at, at the start, 
if you look at just the the scale of investment generally, there's been such a big step up um, year on year. You can definitely see uh, a, a lot of activity and excitement across the, the various subsectors generally. Great. Thank you very much, David. I now wanted to take a bit of a turn and put the spotlight on the regulatory landscape here in the UK. Mark, last month, more than 70 fintech CEOs and founders in the UK signed an open letter calling for the government to update the regulatory rulebook to ensure that the sector here in the UK remains globally competitive. What's your assessment of of what we have in terms of the current regulatory framework for fintechs wanting to do business in the UK? Thanks, Sue. Yes, the UK has long been at the forefront, I think, of innovation on a regulatory level in regards to fintech. And I think the picture currently overall remains positive. It's clear post-Brexit that policymakers are clean, uh, keen to ensure that London remains a global fintech hub. And that overall high-level message is really being borne out by what we see from the direction of travel around specific policymaking. I think Brexit as an event seems to have passed through without causing significant damage. So, um, you know, whilst the loss of passporting has put up barriers to doing business within Europe, we've been pleased to see how well the, the sector's held up. Um, undoubtedly, some jobs have been created in the EU and business flowing through new EU entities. But the displacement of staff has been quite small. And it seems that EU regulators have been relatively pragmatic also in terms of the level of local presence they need and have allowed outsourcing of functions back to London to an extent that this has probably been manageable for, for most businesses. There's definitely some political risk. The environment may become more restrictive in this regard, but that has not yet happened. And so it's great to see many fintechs making significant long-term commitments to London, including those whose founders may be from the EU or elsewhere overseas. So that is really creating a positive environment in terms of creation of new jobs. And we've seen a number of high-profile statements around London remaining a key centre for these firms in Europe. So that's good news. You're right to flag the Cliff Review last year, obviously, and other initiatives driven by the government, which have been positively received. So we've seen the regulatory scale box, for example, being a particular success. And you can see that in the way it's been adopted globally. In terms of the regulatory framework, which you asked about in your question, you know, today it still remains largely what we inherited from the EU period of membership. That framework has a lot of advantages. Probably fair to say that in this country, we've interpreted it often more flexibly than some other countries have. And hence, we've seen you know, good support for innovative business models that support startups and scale-ups, things like use of regulatory hosting and agency arrangements and the like. You can also see there's a clear desire to going forward to create frameworks that allow for nurturing innovation, perhaps taking a more proportionality-based approach uh, to bring in new regulations than we're seeing in the EU. So looking at crypto assets, for example, you know, the UK's proposed interventions are quite targeted around consumer protection and regulation of stablecoin versus the EU's emerging approach, which appears to be more wide ranging and comprehensive. Um, it should be noted also that whilst the UK has you know, clearly said it intends to create a graduated regime post-Brexit, it's not looking to be light touch. So the UK has amongst the most you know, aggressive uh, standards around things like individual accountability and remains a very robust regulatory enforcement environment as well. And that's unlikely to change. So I think it's overall a positive message, um, you know, and one that we very much hope to to see continue. Yeah, no, absolutely, and that that's still the message that you know that we hear from colleagues and clients around the world that that, that the UK um, regime is sort of respected for being robust, but also uh, just 
more open to innovation, more more educated about innovation and digital than than maybe you know some of um, regulatory counterparts around the world. But I mean, if if you were part of the group looking at you know what other obstacles that we could perhaps clear or challenges that we could help mitigate for the sector, do, do you have a sense of what remains some of the key challenges or, or what you think? you know, needs to improve or what clients tell us needs to improve? Yes, I think there's still a need to settle into the post-Brexit position, I believe. So we've seen the future regulatory framework consultation review, which is closed, but we're still awaiting feedback from Treasury on that. And, you know, maybe that's been a little slower than hoped. And the longer we wait, the less certainty we have. Um, I think to provide some context for listeners, you know, that under that review, there's a proposal that the Treasury will be able to re- repeal, retain the EU law directly, which it will then be able to give additional power to the regulators to uh, apply new requirements to firms, allowing them to tailor the, the rules to the UK market. So the intention here is really to streamline the existing system by reorienting it away from a detailed rulebook approach towards a more outcomes focused approach. Um, I think on the plus side, you know, this does provide some freedom to do things differently from the past. And some of the likely changes around this have been positively received in terms of graduated capital requirements, for example, which may make it more attractive for medium sized banks and challenger banks to operate within the UK. That approach would also enable the regulators to be more nimble and change rules more quickly. One feature of being in the EU was that that process tended to take a longer period of time to come through to, to change rules, given the more complex processes that were involved to change those laws. However, there is some downside to that, because one of the benefits of the old system has been that when things were going to change, you had a long lead in time typically before changes actually happened. Whereas, you know, one of the challenges now would be the regulators being able to change things more quickly, meaning that firms may not have enough of a runway into those changes taking effect. And we're already starting to see some examples of that happening. We also do hear concerns from clients about a less rules-based approach, maybe giving more latitude to the authorities to do things on their own initiative. And people have become quite used to this rules-based regime where things are written down in black and white and you then have certainty as to what the rules are. If you scale back from that and make things more broad brush you can end up in a situation where the authorities then overlay their own views onto the rules going beyond what the rules actually say and that can provide for a lower degree of certainty and we, we've seen that to some extent already with the emi and, and pi community in the payment space where some you know guidance has been extended to them which goes beyond what the rules need around things like wind down planning and so on So it can be a bit of a double-edged sword. I think the other thing that we need to watch is to be careful to ensure that the individual experience that firms have of being regulated matches the positive rhetoric coming from politicians and the policy teams of these regulators, because we've seen, you know, practical problems arising around delays with engagement, particularly with the FCA. We know the FCA has had some resourcing pinch points in some of its teams like authorizations and change of control. And that's particularly impacted crypto asset businesses trying to register, for example. So that has been a problem. We know the FCA is aware of this and has been hiring quite aggressively to, to try to address this issue. But you know, we have to ensure that the day-to-day experience people have on the ground matches the you know, very positive rhetoric that is coming from the top of these organizations and from our politicians as well. 
That's really helpful background. And I think, I think you're right. It's sort of a period of adjustment for everyone and it's trying to um, come up with the, the, the best approach we can uh, going forward. So we're all kind of going to be watching this space because we know that regulatory change is just, you know, are always happening and we always have to keep ahead of it. So I suppose as my final question, perhaps I'll ask, so what are the key regulatory changes that we should all be looking out for uh, during the during the rest of 2022, what, what's coming down the pipe? Yeah, so there's maybe one general one and then a few specific ones. So the general one is the proposed introduction of a new consumer duty, which is you know the potential to create a real paradigm shift in terms of the FCA's expectations of firms in retail markets. So this is really a package of measures which will bring into place a new consumer principle that provides an overarching standard of conduct supported by a set of cross-cutting rules and four consumer outcomes that set clear expectations for firms' cultures and behaviours. And under the proposed consumer duty, firms would need to ensure their products and services, for example, are fit for purpose and offer fair value, and that their communications and customer service enable customers to make and act on well-informed decisions. Now, we're expecting final rules to be published on this by the end of July 2022, and back to my previous point around runway periods, to be implemented by the 30th of April 2023. There definitely is some concern amongst the regulated community about the time period proposed between the final rules and implementation. The period of nine months, given the fundamental nature of these rules, it's it's believed may not leave enough time for firms to prepare and implement changes. And you know, there's really quite a lot that firms will have to do to ensure they both grasp and understand the new rules, analyze those, uh, perform gap analysis against their existing policies and processes, and make relevant adjustments through change and. Uh, into products and service design, price and value, customer support, and so on, as well as then training staff on the new rules and implement necessary system changes, as well as monitoring and testing consumer outcomes. So there's quite a lot to happen there. I think the FCA's answer to that is that, you know, a lot of this is reflective of standards they expect firms to already be implementing, which I think there's some, you know, fairness in that point, but inevitably with these sorts of things, it can get quite granular in terms of implementation. And so the fact that, you know, a firm may already be taking good steps to ensure fair treatment of its customers does not necessarily mean that it won't have to carry out this somewhat comprehensive exercise and make ch- changes in the background, which which could take longer to implement. So that is certainly going to be something which is of wide application to any firm dealing with retail customers there's a couple of points on expanding the perimeter as well. So we've seen, you know, live consultations out there on the regulation of buy now, pay later products, which there was an HM Treasury consultation published in October 2021 on that. And that's going to bring buy now, pay later lending within the regulatory perimeter, which it, it is not at the moment, generally speaking. And that has an impact both on, you know, the regulated credit community but also on merchants potentially who accept these products now it does appear that merchants are going to be able to stay outside of the regulatory net based on the latest proposals um but clearly the the regulatory changes applying to the lenders may end up being flowed down to some extent to that merchant community and there's still some ongoing debate around exactly how widely that perimeter is going to be uh, drawn and we do expect further consultations from both the Treasury and the FCA, but that, that's a clear one to look, look out for in 2022. Unlikely to be in place, though, until 2023 at the earliest. And then the other specific development I would flag would be around crypto assets. So 
there is definitely a focus on intervention on a number of levels to increasingly regulate this space. So we saw the Treasury consulting last year now on a new regime for crypto assets, which would expand the perimeter and impose new obligations and requirements. And this is really focused on firms providing services in relation to stable coins. So there's no specific target date by which the Treasury intends to respond to the consultation responses. But in line with the FSB's roadmap for enhancing cross-border payments, that's targeting establishment of national regulatory frameworks on stablecoin by July 2022. And so it's likely that the Treasury's response will be published at some stage in 2022. And then separately, we've seen more recently, we've seen confirmation that some of the crypto assets will be brought within the scope of the UK's financial promotion regime, which regulates the marketing and financial services and investments. And this is an example of a situation where there's been an attempt made to do a proportionate intervention. So not seeking to regulate all of these providers of crypto asset services fully, but to focus more on potential consumer harm around advertising. So again, there's that's a live measure that is still out there, um, which has been accompanied also by an, a parallel FCA consultation on strengthening advertising rules for high-risk investments, including crypto assets. And then just maybe finally, the proposals to reform the appointed representative regime which again could be quite significant in the fintech space because the appointed representative regime has allowed firms with certain business models to operate without obtaining their own separate regulatory authorization and that's been very helpful in terms of enabling speed to market and a lighter touch regulatory burden for businesses that are scaling up so it's been a very useful regime and it's one that's been around for quite a long time and is probably in need of some updating given how technology and the market has moved in the last 20, 30 years when it was, you know, first came into a place. So we're, we're looking at those proposals, you know, they are likely to require more robust oversight from principal firms that oversee these appointed representatives, which, you know, maybe viewed as a good thing to some extent. I think the thing that's going to be important is ensuring that the regime does not move too far towards similarity with full authorization and that the, the time periods that are imposed on people trying to get to market through this route do not lengthen unduly. So, you know, that again is still a live issue where we're expecting final rules in the first half of the year, but one that we should be keeping a close eye on. Terrific. Thank you for that, that um, you know, thorough overview of some of the things that are going to be keeping uh, fintechs and their legal and compliance teams busy this year. And I'm sure will be debated at length over some of the sessions we're seeing this week for UK Fintech Week. So, on that note, I'm going to draw our discussions to a close. Thanks so much, David and Mark, for sharing your insights today. Uh, but before we leave you, the, the audience, we wanted to share the exciting news that we're launching a new fintech council fund here at Baker McKenzie. The fund will provide practical support to three carefully selected fintech companies as they seek to make their mark in the fintech sector. Through the program, we'll be providing our three finalists with a structured six-month support package of legal and commercial advice to help guide them as they grow their business. The fund is aimed at fintech growth companies, early and mid-stage companies post-Series A, based in the UK. There are no minimum requirements in terms of size, scale, or maturity of business, and no limitations in terms of which fintech vertical your company may be focused on. So please do think about applying and, and sharing news of the fund with any fintechs 
you know that may be needing some support as they grow, the application window opens on Monday the 11th of April 2022 and you can go to bakermckenzie.com for more information. We really look forward to hearing from you and getting to know some of the fintech businesses that apply. Thank you for joining today's FinSight podcast for UK FinTech Week. Please do let us know if there are any topics you would like us to tackle in future episodes in this series. Thank you for listening.